0: Yes. Okay. The S&P, the stops. This is Motley Fool
1: Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is, well, making up for past misdeeds. Yeah, we screwed up, we messed up. We'll hear a little bit about that later. In the meantime, I'm Scott Phillips and with me as always is Dr Anirvan Mahanti. G'day Doc, how are you mate? I'm good man, how are you? I'm exceptional. Mate, more importantly, how are you going when we're almost at the end of earnings season? You made it through on Sky?
2: Well, I'm, I'm feeling better today. <laughs>
1: Better because the results have been better or better because we're almost at the end of earnings season. It's the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's been one of those months, mate. It's, uh, it's been a strange old month. It has. Like, earnings are always kind – of <laughs> there's something about – for all investors, I'm sure, but particularly for us when we're in the game. You wake up in the morning and then you wait for the emails to start arriving in your inbox. And they're not always good, but there's always that trepidation of, oh, here we go again. Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? That's one thing the share price responses this month have just been something else altogether, have they not? Like, this is a... Bizarre. It's really, really strange. Mm -hmm. Now, can we... Well, do you have a speculation as to what's going on? Can we put it down to anything in particular or is this just literally one of those things?
2: I'm just going to say there's been increased volatility of late. Like, I mean, you know, people are feeling... um uh, I don't know, trigger happy. Uh, they're willing to move move very quickly on any news that they, mm. you know, they, they know uh, the usual, you know, I'm going to fire my shot first and then think <laughs> later, right? So
0: yeah.
2: um, a lot of that has been going on. But right. yeah, there's been some really strange movements, which I find bizarre, but otherwise I think, yeah, a, lo- a lot, of, lot more volatility than I usually expect.
1: Do you know what I wonder? I wonder whether the market, I, I wonder if the responses are, the weird things, or whether the responses are actually much more rational and the previous share price were weird. So we had, was it last week, I think Webjet was down 12% on the release of really, really good results. Mm-hmm. Flight Center was up 6%, 7% on relatively ordinary results, quite frankly. The, the, that, that move itself would seem strange, but I do wonder, looking back now, whether it was a case of the market, to your point about being volatile, I wonder if we're just overly emotional. There's too much good news baked into the, into the good news stocks. And too much bad news baked into the bad news stocks. To some degree, we've kind of got that extreme of of emotion, right? There's too much pessimism on the downside, too much optimism on the upside, and we're going through almost a correction month of kind of things getting back to where they maybe should be.
2: But I found the Webjet one very odd, right? I mean, Webjet was not priced for perfection. Mm. So it was priced reasonably. It was growing. I just don't understand that one.
1: (laughs) you that's you're bonnet as a
2: Yeah, I find that as, as an exception to the rule. Everything else I can find an explanation for. That one I really can't explain.
1: All right, now that was last week, mate. This week a whole slew of earnings. We'll try and get through a couple of them. There's way too much going on. Before we do, though, you're our resident. Well, I'll say bear. Can I say bear? Certainly in house prices. Yeah. I, I, and the recession these days that you're forecasting is just around the corner. I think is your phrase these days. Yep. Okay. I'll, I'll take the I'll take the optimistic tone. Broadly, though, during the week, so the the bad news was falling building approvals. The good news, if you like that sort of thing, was even rising house prices potentially. And overlaid with that, we had GDP come out. So where do you, you know, we're we'll getting to earnings in a second. That's probably more important. But just to kind of set the scene, where are we economically based on the news we got this week? I don't know. I mean,
2: the numbers are mixed, right? I mean, if uh, construction is important in this country. Yep. Right, a construct- it a heap of people. Yeah, yeah and it, construction is down. House prices are improving. So the question really is, um, is the construction actually going to start improving? Because just, you know, the approvals were down and therefore construction was down. But eventually, um, e- eventually, I think, you know, we catch up with it, right? So maybe that's what's happening. Uh, I don't know. But if this trend continues, then, you know, maybe there is a recession around the corner. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that, or, at least, or at least that's what you've been telling oh, me.
2: That's what I think maybe it's happening. But it's, it's again, hard to tell. Maybe, maybe, maybe the, the two rate cuts are doing its
1: job. Well, a, fun, a funny thing, too, the, the numbers I, I, I kind of mentioned to you before we started taping this morning, retail's been a really funny kind of situation this earnings season, right? We've had some relative shockers and also some really, really strong results. The Woolies sales result was out. So we're recording this on Thursday morning. It's not Friday because uh, I have a Father's Day breakfast to go to tomorrow for my young bloke. So we're recording this a day early. The, the Woolies numbers were good. The super retail numbers were great. The Kathmandu numbers were great. The Bunnings numbers. I mean, 8% sales growth in a housing-related company. Those results were unquestionably great, at least in retail terms. Yet there was also some, some bad news as well. It, the old bifurcated economy line gets used too frequently, but it's kind of tempting to look at it that way. There's, there's been some real winners and some real losers this month.
2: Yeah, so, like, I mean, JB Hi-Fi, for example, was right, good, right? Oh, so, JB yeah. Hi-Fi was good. Um, some of the the housing construction ones were not good, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. they are feeling the pain. Right, right. Right, so, Stockland was not good. Um, I forgot, I think uh, there's another one out of New Zealand, which was not good. Fletcher Building, I think. Yes, Fletcher Building, yeah. that was not good. So, I mean, those, those are not, they are showing signs of weakness, whereas some of the consumer consumption ones are actually doing okay. Right,
1: which is kind of weird because it's, Normally, that's it's that retail kind of led recession. We tend to believe people start stop spending. At this stage, that that kind of that's maybe the last shooter drop. Right, if that goes negative, then maybe you're right. The recession isn't far away. Well, if that stays reasonably okay, and as you say, maybe it's the rate cuts that have done the job. We might still be in, a, in an okay position, if you wanted to. A little bit more optimistic than you normally are. Could you could you concede that at least, that if retail stays yeah, strong, are okay? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's as much I'm getting out of in films. <laughs> All right. Mate, let's go through a little bit of earnings from this week. Uh, let's start with the big one. Uh, one of the, the WAX stocks, with the capital A, Afterpay Touch, or just Afterpay as we like to call it these days, was out this week. Some phenomenal numbers. 5.2 million account holders, That is just enormous. That's three times the size of Kogan's customer account, for example, which is nothing short of extraordinary. 35,000 merchants, so retail partners, taking afterpay. What did you make of the numbers?
2: I thought the numbers were really good. I mean, um, it has taken hold in in Australia really well. UK is off to a flying Hmm. start. Better than the US. Better than the US, actually. So maybe there's a case here of um, execution improving as they learn more about how to actually execute a new market. Yeah, right. And and the brand building is really working here. The fact that, you know, they have gotten a hold, um, a footing in the US. Mm. And and if you work with brands that are in both US and UK, it kinda helps you. That you know you've already worked with right, these people, course. so yeah, yeah. The, so the partnership actually now scales across to new new geographies, right? Mm-hmm. So so that's was really encouraging. I, I think you know, and they're off to a good start. There, the late fee count is down, which is really good. So that you know, so I, 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 I think there's real progress happening here.
1: Now, mate, the other thing that struck me, I, this is one of those things I don't want our listeners to, to put too much store in because these things can go well or can go badly, it can be not events or or actually worth something. But they ink to deal with global behemoth Visa. Now yeah. that's no small thing. If you know, I mean, this could come to nothing. This could be a you know a simple hey, we think we might possibly work together at some point. Never eventuates, or it could genuinely be at some level a real meaningful partnership. If Visa wants to get into this space and use Afterpay as that vehicle, I mean, you know, it's not too small a, a leap to see this being a meaningful, you know, force multiplier for Visa's business business, yeah. so, so what
2: is not clear is what the deal is here,
1: right? Right, right.
2: Um, so, so they didn't really uh, speculate or they didn't really tell us what the um, the working relationship here is. Now, if you think about Visa or Mastercard or any of these companies, right? So they are happy to take more um, money, essentially flowing, flowing <laughs> that's through right. their networks. So, right, well, that's So, what they do, so, yeah. so, so one can see that a deal could happen, mm. but how does this deal actually help? Um, uh, help these guys. Yeah. That's that's the question. But yeah, I mean, you know, saying that you have some partnership with Visa is a big deal. Um, I would like more clarity on the form of that partnership. Yeah, that that was not there. But it it could be simple things like you know maybe you put money through the Visa's network, uh, 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 Visa's payment network, and the, you know you uh, you negotiate a lower fee. Uh, that could be useful, right? I mean, it could be a win-win because uh, both Visa. Visa gets more money flowing through its network. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the customer uh, or the retail, uh, you know, the retailers who are actually, you know, taking the visa, uh, using the visa network at mm-hmm. the pause, may, they land up maybe paying a smaller cut uh, to afterpay, right? And therefore that's a win. So, uh, high, you know, that could result in more uptake.
1: Either way, it's something of a we've arrived, kind of signal, right? When, when Visa wants to do a deal with Afterpay, it, it says that Visa's taking Afterpay seriously enough to actually be not only talking to them, but actually making deals, or at least some sort of indicative deal, as you say, They've kind of arrived, haven't they? This is this is this is kind of reputationally maybe even bigger news than than financially. Uh,
2: That that is true, right? Yeah, when the big behemoth takes note, that's really useful, and and that's really happening even for some of the other players, right? I mean, Mastercard is partnering with some of them. Um, Yeah, so so I think this is a recognition from the payment, I guess, from the payment players to say that hey, this type of buy now pay later is actually very legitimate. It's um, it's growing and it's going to be a larger and larger share of the retail uh, payment.
1: Space. All right. Now, Afterpay, as we sit here, is about 28 bucks a share. Buy, so I'll hold Afterpay, mate.
2: Well, I'm going to go with buy. We okay. uh, we have recommended it in, in at least one mm-hmm. of our services, mm-hmm. and it's in a couple of our services. Yeah. So, I, I think it's a, it's a buy.
0: Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M.
1: For one buy now pay later to another. Flexi Group. The business that was the well, depending on which way you look at the story, either it was the first one there or it was the last one here. <laughs> uh, it claims it was the originator of Buy Now, Pay Later through its kind of Harvey Norman no interest ever type deal, 60 months interest free, those kind of deals that were being done. Uh, it was the first one in that space, to be fair, but not exactly Buy Now, Pay Later. That being said, the company's rebranded its, what was it, Certigy Easy EasyPay, which is literally the very worst brand I've ever heard of. Um, that's something coming from a company called The Motley Fool, right? If, you, if you're calling yourself The <laughs> Motley Fool, you've, you've got to take some hits on that one. Um, Easy Pay was a terrible, terrible name. Now called Hum, H-U-M-M. And the shares were up, I want to say, 16% the other day. Um, Pays the, the Hum product seems to have arrived in some sort of style. Uh, Haven't they to deal
2: with MasterCard?
1: Yeah, right. This is an interesting story. So it, it's kind of a, both of the big... Players again making some strides or taking some bets on what might happen next. Um, Flex Group might yet be saved, well, from itself almost. It really went through a really tough, you know, couple of years back. Back in the day, it was it was a high flyer uh, when it was signing up retailers. This is almost echoes of the Afterpay story. It signed up retailer after retailer after retailer for years on these in, interest free programs. Share price went through the roof, profit went through the roof, and they realised they couldn't find any more growth. Now, I'm not saying that'll happen to Afterpay, by the way, but you know, it, it was the early days weren't dissimilar. Then it went through a real stagnation period. Now it seems to have been able to... Re- revitalize itself and as you say that MasterCard deal a bit like Afterpay giving some sort of credence to the fact that maybe it has got a second life
2: so the interesting thing is that these guys are sort of playing in slightly different spaces right, right. As, you, as you said um, a typical uh, Flexi Group product would be for like you know by the couch so yeah. it's like you know yeah. several thousand dollars right and uh, if I understood the announcement correctly they're saying what it's like between 3000 to 30000 is yeah. sort of the range yeah. Yeah. whereas what, what Afterpay is doing is it the so you know m- more my Micro, this is like more yeah. nature type of payments maybe maybe there's room for both. And for and those
1: thinking about this, Zip Pay kind of fits in between these two, right? So you exactly. got this progression between after he's a hundred buck pair of jeans, the Hum Mastercard deal could be up to thirty grand, exactly. And Zip Pay, Zip Money kind of sits somewhere in the middle. Both, right, to some yeah. degree, and then fit the middle. Yeah, yeah.
2: So yeah, I, I mean, it's very. Uh, what is impressive is that you know somebody like Flexi Group is actually being flexible,
1: <laughs> and, and, and oh, look like that. Mate, I'll, I'll do puns around here. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and
1: they're being flexible, and they're
2: they're you know innovating with with changing times. So which is, which is great.
1: I like that. You, I'll, let, I'll let you have that one. That was very good, mate. Th- another one, other in the finance space, man. It's a bit of a finance podcast this week. Poor old Pioneer Credit. Now I remember. So Pioneer Credit buys debt off people who otherwise aren't able to collect it. So you think you're a, you're a telecommunications player, you're a Telstra, you're a bank, someone hasn't paid off their credit card, someone pays their electricity bill. You've tried and tried and tried. Maybe three months later, you're like, you know what, this isn't going to happen. I'm not going to get any money out of the person who owes me the cash. I'm going to sell this debt, at least get something back, selling it to someone who specializes in debt collection. So they do that. They might get, I don't know, what do they get, a couple of bucks out of the in the hundreds, so a couple of cents <laughs> in the dollar. Maybe you sell a $100 um, telephone bill for three or five bucks. A debt collector buys that debt and then goes about trying to collect more than it paid you to get it. And that's the business of Pioneer Credit. For those who are familiar with these companies, Collection House and Credit Corp, are the other two big ones in the space, poor old Pioneer, late to the game. And maybe the game might be, I don't want to say over necessarily. And frankly, by the time we listen to this podcast, maybe we'll hear more news. But the shares have been suspended. It's going to have to, if not restate, at least change the way it's stating its, its PL, its profits. Things aren't looking all that great for Pioneer. What do you make, man? Is this a case of too much risk being taken or is it simply a case of too much expectation built in by the market for a business that simply never should have been as expensive as it was?
2: Yeah, so those shares were like basically on a on like a tear. Yeah, for a yep. long, long time, yep.
1: right? It was growing like topsy. It was it was in theory, it was supposed to be the next big thing.
2: Not yeah. quite. Well, I mean, these type of you know businesses are by risky by definition, right? You you are collecting, you're basically collecting money that nobody paid.
1: We're well, paying the financial leverage game on yeah. on a subprime group.
2: Yeah, on oh, a subprime yeah. group.
1: So uh, that's the definition of risk, I think.
2: So It's the definition of risk, and uh, you, you know, I don't follow this business that closely. But mm. you know, when your auditors don't sign up, uh, you know, basically refuse to <laughs> to sign dear. the books. That that is that's a good sign. It's a wrong. good sign that something is really really wrong. Yeah. Dear, oh, dear. so. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, this is probably going to get, you know, uh, written down a lot of their, um, yeah.
1: So these years were fifty ish back in mid-2016. Got as high as $3.60 early last year. Now 2:46 before the suspension, I don't think you've got to be a particularly good crystal ball reader to believe this is going to be meaningfully less once they, if and when, we assume when, yeah. they relist once they get their books sorted out and the accounts restarted.
2: Yeah, so there's going to be a meaningful uh, write down on profits, for example. Yeah. That's that's the I think the contention here.
1: And I've got to say, is it, so? Do you think? Well, we're speculating here. Is this a is this a contagion across purchase debt in general? Or is this a pioneer specific story? What what should investors in collection house and corporate, tra- corporate travel collection house and credit corp uh, be thinking right now? Given the pioneer suspension, given the issues they're having, is this a, a one off company issue, or is there is this sort of you know the old thing that's more than one cockroach in the kitchen?
2: Um, uh, without knowing the details, as again, I'm I'm speculating. I, Many of these (laughs)
1: That's
2: what we do. That's right. Speculate. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so just just to be clear, that if anybody's a shareholder, you know, remember that I don't follow this company that closely. But uh, the the only thing I I can say is that there, this is really a speciality game, right? Mm. You really need to know which debt to take, how much to pay for that debt, so that you can actually make some buck on it, right? Um, If you're too aggressive, which could be the case that that's what has happened here Mm. then you can land up with a lot of bad debt for which you have paid but you're actually not able to recover stuff Um, yeah so it it doesn't necessarily have to be an industry wide problem but it could be an industry wide problem if everybody is chasing you know the same set of bad debt right and you're basically you know paying up for it right it could be a pyramid scheme
1: oh I'll leave it there
0: (laughs) Get more motley fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash
1: triple M. Mate, uh, from, from the sublime to the ridiculous, or the ridiculous to the sublime, depending on which way you want to look at it, let's take a little bit of a dive into retail land. We had numbers out from both West Farmers and Woolworths in the last five days. And worth just, again, we talked about retail at the top of the show, just checking in a little bit on where things are at and what's going on. Mm-hmm. The West Farmers numbers and the Woolies numbers, let, let's look at the, the similarities first. Discount department stores, Big W and Kmart, Target are just in an absolute world of hurt, aren't they? West Farmers are going to close Target stores. Woolies are going to close 30 Big Ws, I think I read this Mm. morning. Um, About bloody time, I should say. I don't know why it's taken this long to get around to it. It surprises me that, frankly, they've they've existed for so long without these closures. I've always assumed it was simply because they had long-term leases that they had to get out of or somehow try and reassign. But there's upwards of, I think, more than 100 100 different stores across the two chains going to be closed in the next little while. Tough times for retail landlords, Mm -hmm. um, tough times for discount department stores. So that's one thing. Then moving to supermarkets, very, very different example there. Woolies themselves, the profit was up 56%, we found out this morning. That's uh, kind of afterpay numbers, right? That's not, that's not boring old grocery retailers. Was there some one-offs there? Well, weren't possibly. Uh, <laughs> and then, possibly and or really? <laughs> it's got to be one it Depends whether you work on the PR See, team. Oh, the, or the, not?
2: the only thing I'll say about Woolies is between 2014, when I last checked, and last year, yep. there top line numbers were exactly the same like that company's total <laughs> kind of makes sense right i mean this country doesn't right. is, isn't growing population at a huge rate right, right. so if you're making like 50 billion dollars of sales in 2014 you probably made 52 billion dollars of sales Pretty in much. 2018 Pretty so much. <laughs>
1: All right, so you're not going to give me the ANPAT number, all right. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, then, and then on West Farmer's side, there's, again, I mentioned Bunnings up 8%. So let's take, all those, let's take those in a little bit of order. Discount department stores, mate. I've given a reasonably strong tale of woe. Anything more to add there? Any thoughts on discount department stores or, oh, or that oh, no. retail section in general? Yeah, Online.
2: <laughs> if <laughs> you can buy stuff online, why would you go to the discount? I mean, you can buy discounted stuff online, right? So I think you.
1: you well, this could... is probably only these days only if you're there anyway, right? If you yeah. if you're doing your grocery shopping, you might duck in a Big W or Kmart next door. You're not going to probably make a trip. This is time sensitive. You need it today for the yeah. kids' party tomorrow or something. You can jump on Kogan or Catch of the Day yeah. or a million and one online options and, and grab the stuff you'd need.
2: Well, well, and the, the thing with Woolies and Coles is that you know I need my bread and I need my veggies and right. I need my meat and I you know that I still can't really buy online that's Well, you can, I mean, well you, you can buy them online from Woolies yes. <laughs> and which we do we do, do semi
1: regularly it's right. actually a pretty good service and, and,
2: and they can deliver it right up to your door right. uh, in, if they start stacking my fridge maybe I'll, I'll actually <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it <laughs> that'll enough. be my way to go but yeah like I mean there's very different categories right I yeah. think that category is, is uh, somewhat uh, strong mm-hmm. <laughs> versus the other category which seems very weak
1: yeah I think that's right and then bunnings Matt what, what do you I mean this I, I've said many, many, many times and the number's still... So returns on equity are 50%. So in other words, for every dollar shareholders put in, mm. Bunnings tax a 50% return every single year, which is just... And they have for years. Phenomenal. Sales growth of 8%. In another otherwise, look, I'm more optimistic than you. We can both agree it's a challenging retail environment. This, I, I, I am staggered. I, I have to say, if you'd said to me, look, well, Bunnings do okay? I would say, yeah, they'll do okay. If you'd give me odds on 8% growth, I'd probably have given you three, four, five to one on that sort of number given the retail challenge. Yeah.
2: I call, uh, I'd call Bunnings Teflon, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> nothing can go wrong with Bunnings. Apparently <laughs> not. You probably anyway, bought it there, I imagine. Um, uh, I, I really, yeah, that's I would have said the same thing. Phenomenal, like, you right? know, It's phenomenal. It's really well run. Uh, one of the things they have been doing for a while is that, you know, uh, didn't they do something with their um, BWP trust and they got out of some spaces that, you know, they thought, the, or
1: some locations that yep. they thought were not good. Yep.
2: So maybe they're just clever operators. And oh, they
1: definitely are that. Really, really Very, very clever retail. operators. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great model. Well done. Saw off the Woolworths Challenge. Continue to grow in a tough retail environment. Just a really, really
2: And, and they have one. no air conditioning costs. Big fans, though. They're just big fans you in, in a shed. Have, have, you seen,
1: have you seen the brand of those fans? They are literally big-ass fans. That's, okay. what they, that's what they're called. That's on the fans as they go around. You can look up. That's yeah. what, that's the brand. They're these massive... Uh, how, long they, how long are the blades? Five metres big? They're well, long, long Huge. Blades. And
2: it's like, you know, it's like just a big... Like, it's big, basically, warehouse, right? That's what it is. That's what I it mean, is. There's nothing fancy
1: there, you know... Keep the costs low and keep the margins high. Exactly. Very good. Let's move on. Value stocks. Markets. Stock market. Index. Share market. This
0: is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M.
1: Mate, we're going to get to the mailbag, but before we do, I've got a bit of a earnings season brick back to hand out. And it's to a company called Reliance Worldwide. And I shouldn't single them out, frankly, because they are not the only and probably not even the worst of the... Um, how should we put this? Cleverly, cleverly, uh, communicated numbers. On oh. their company press release. <laughs> now, I'm going to. Ha- I'm going to. Ha- this is not. This is not the, the the medium to show visuals. So I'm just going to. They, they report, produced a table, and the table had things like net sales, excluding this, excluding that, reported you know, ebitda, adjusted ebitda, adjusted net profit, reported net profit. Lots of great numbers. Like, everything all, was everything was up. It was it was wonderful, right? So mm. they had, and and they had the actual for this year, actual for last year, and the percentage variance. So. Sales are up 43%. Reported EBITDAs up 79%. They're bolded, by the way. Adjusted EBITDA up 64, 66%. That was bolded. Reported net profit up 100%. Adjusted net profit up 80%. Looks great. Then the last two lines on the table we'll be looking at, they have adjusted and basic earnings per share, the number that really matters, right? The amount of earnings you get per share you own. So that's the important number. And they put this year and they put last year. Bolded. No, 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 no. No No, bolding. No. And, and, and funnily enough, these are the only two metrics, the only two metrics, where they didn't bother communicating the variance. Because, you know, it doesn't matter, right? Like we've, got, we've grown profit 100% and sales at 40%. Who cares about the well, growth in earnings per well, share? Well, what do you really care?
2: As a shareholder, you should just care for the earnings you got. <laughs> why do you care if it grew? Oh, I gave you earnings. You well, uh, okay, how about this? They could always say that we gave you earnings. How about the other company that gave you zero earnings?
1: Mate, these days you can make share price goes up more if you don't earn any money. So, so maybe The way that, tech stocks are going up.
2: Uh, so maybe that's what they're trying to do here.
1: In any case, what I should say is that so earnings per share were up slightly from just under 16 cents to about 19 and a half cents. That's no small feat, right? It went up. It went up decently. That is, of all things, that was the smallest increase. And so, of course, they just didn't bother to mention it because, hey, why focus on that? When we can get you to focus on something else that makes the share price hopefully go up more.
2: Did the share price go up? No.
1: Markets all straight.
2: The trickery didn't work.
1: Oh, i tell you. Our, companies out there, for all the, all the IR flacks listening to us, and I'm sure there are thousands, if not tens of thousands of IR teams listening to this right now to see how they should be talking to their management teams. For the love of God, guys, we know what's going on. Leave something out. It's conspicuous by its absence, right? You look down that table and you go, hey, what's not there? All right the earnings per share growth. It's the first thing I did. I went, why is that number not there? Oh, that's why. Because it was the tiniest number on the entire spreadsheet.
2: So, so given that, is Reliance a buy? Is it a sell? Is it a hold? Oh, or is it
1: like- That's a whole different question. I would, I would say it's a hold for me right now. There are so many different moving parts of the Reliance business. Um, the John Guest acquisition. Look, if you're- Like everything, mate. So there's, there's a there's a question, mate, you know, Is the stock individually- Do you want to put your whole money in it, whole portfolio in it? No, probably not- um, as part of a diversified portfolio, uh, if you—I mean, it's got a lot of stuff we don't have a lot of here in Australia, right? It's, it's exposed to business to consumer, but in a, in a kind of construction way. Now you mentioned the construction numbers; so you talk about that. Um, very, very different industry. Got UK and US exposure, which we don't have a lot of here. It's one got of the special few... type of pipes that work in cold climate. Yes, exactly. Um, so push to connect—they call them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, look, lots of things going for it. Lots of moving parts. Uh, oh, look, I don't know. I think it's one of those businesses where. If it's good, it's a good way to diversify your portfolio. I'd like to see them actually be a little more up front. As I said, though, I should say, they are far and away from the worst or only problem. It just, when it struck me on, I think it was Tuesday morning this week, I just looked at it and went, come on, guys, you can do better than that. You went with hold. I'm just going to go with buy, just to be different. There <laughs> we go. All right. It's a buy from Doc. <laughs> should we move on to the mailbag? Yeah, let's do that.
0: Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M.
1: Mate, we've got a full mailbag as always. Worse, I have to apologize. I kept our listeners in suspenders, or in suspenses I should say, for a couple of weeks when I promised it would only be one. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, we gave a question. We were running out of time and I said, look, here's a great question. I'll give you the question. We'll answer it next week. And what did I do last week? You forgot about it, like I completely forgot about it. <laughs> so I have to apologise to David Kerwin. I will a quick shout out to one of our colleagues, Andrew Leggett, who listens to these podcasts because clearly he's got nothing else to do. I probably should give him some more work to do. Um, and he, he said, Scott, I think you might have forgotten to answer his question. I said, Oh, are you sure? Are you sure you weren't getting the episodes out of order? Maybe it was last week. He said, No, no, I'm pretty sure I'm right. And then literally about, I kid you not, fifteen minutes later, I got a, a tweet from David saying, Hey, he said, Scott, you left the lads and me hanging. The cliffhanger ending two Fridays ago, then nothing last Friday. Hoping there'll be a discussion of long-term trends that you and Doc like this week. PS actually really enjoyed last Friday's earnings episode. Now, I'm pretty sure David put the PS in just to make sure he got this question answered. I don't. Think, I think he was probably being positive. Just to make, just greasing the wheels a little bit. Making us feel a little bit good so we go back to his question. No, I disagree. You disagree? Yeah. What do you think you were doing it for? You kind of really enjoyed it. You must have. We're not that good. Be really good. Okay. Okay. All right. Doc says we're good. We must be good. Yeah. All right. So, David, we'll get back to your question because if I leave it another week, I couldn't live with myself and more importantly, I'd be hunted down by you and your fellow mates who allegedly have an investment club, but as you put in brackets, mainly to have a few beers, which I absolutely enjoy. So, let me reread the question, Doctor, to refresh everybody's memory. I'm sure our listeners have it clear as crystal in their minds waiting desperately to Francis, but here we go. Hi, guys. Love the podcast. My friends and I have a motley full catch-up once a month to discuss your ideas. Again, in brackets, but mainly to have a few beers. Close bracket. We've been talking lately about good long-term macro trends. Cashless payments, Asian tech, precision farming, water, genome sequencing, etc. Are there any long-term trends that you see that appeal to you? We feel that for the long-term investor, it may be easy to identify and back winning trends rather than winning stocks. Thanks again for the podcast and keep up the great work. Hashtag, as I said last week. Full on, which I love. So, David, great question. Doc, give me uh, – we've got a few other questions. We're going to spend a million – yeah, a million what? A million seconds? A million minutes? We won't spend a million of anything on this one. We will do it in a bit of detail. Give me a couple of trends that you've got your eye on, and then at the end of that, I'll ask you how important the trends are versus backing individual companies. So, go with the trends first.
2: So, so his number one trend that I'm going to support is that, you know, having a, a Motley full.
1: Club. <laughs> beer, beer drinking club. I beer, mean, investment catch-up.
2: Yeah, so investment catch-up. You can imagine, okay? They're the, saying to their
1: partners, look, I'm just going to to the boys. The boys
2: <laughs> investing. I think that sounds great. The boys are going to um, get
1: together. We're going to talk about investing in stocks and stuff. Really? Hmm. Where are you going to do that? Oh, the pub. Real, okay, sure. Got it.
2: Um, okay, you, you made the question hard for me. Which was, I did. Which, you, which is what, what, what you always do, that.
1: Mate, that makes me look smart. If, if I make it hard <clears> for you, that's pretty much the way it works. <laughs>
2: okay, so the, the the trends here. I don't know anything about precision farming, so I'm going to take okay. a pass on that. I have no idea. Very
1: very cool, by the way. Well,
2: I think I think it's awesome, but I know nothing about it. Right. So <laughs> I'm going to say, say pass on that. I think Asian tech is awesome Right um, uh, As an area Largely because Asia is unique In many different ways So there's China Now there's,
1: specific Asian technologies Or technology companies Operating in Asia
2: um, Yeah So when I when I Yeah So when I say Asian tech I basically mean That's from mm-hmm. my, my vantage point uh, technology companies that operate and solve Asian
1: problems: Baidu, Tencent, JD.com, jd.com yeah, so, Tmall. So,
2: yeah, so those sort of those Alibaba. sort of companies, Alibaba. Okay. But, but, but 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 he's talking not just specific companies. He's talking trends. Like you know, so sure, pay, sure. payments in uh, in India and China is going to be different from payments in Australia, right? Um, how do you use technology to say do something like okay, um, yeah. Uber or something like you know Airbnb? Those are going to be sli- they're going to have slightly different. Ways of execution, mm-hmm. so I really like that okay. as as an area. Nice. Uh, you named some good companies um, in terms of cashless payments. I think that's a great area again, uh, digi- basically digital payments.
1: Now, am I gonna, am I talking, you talking Bitcoin here, or are you talking about other ways of making digital transactions?
2: Yeah, so so I mean, if you, as an example. If you take the U.S., for example, a large mm. volume of transactions still are cash-based. Yeah. I th-
1: do we lead the world? Or we almost do lead yeah, the world. So astra- astra- Australia,
2: Australia leads the world. And, yeah. you know, for example, our you can, FPOS deployments are what, like 99% of the shops in Australia would have mm-hmm. FPOS. But that's not the case in the US, and that's definitely not the case in India. Actually, in China, it's very high as oh, well right, in, okay. term, in terms of digital digital payment acceptance, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they even have like things like you can just walk to a shop as facial recognition technology and it pays for it automatically. Now, I don't know. That sounds a bit <laughs> <but>
1: scary. <laughs> that's all too big brother. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But still, uh, now there's a thing called I actually don't know the phrase. So I'm not going to say what it's called because I don't know. The idea of a company, a country that's developing later than everybody else that kind of makes the leap across a particular technology right going from horses to airplanes is is a stupid example but you kind of miss the car idea some of these countries by by actually being later to the party actually get to bypass a whole lot of legacy problems and almost go straight to the solution right rather than having to go their way slowly through the treacle to get to the promised land to mix my metaphors about seven or eight metaphors there but work with me um is is that kind of the cashless payments thing in china you're talking about is that kind of how they're getting there same with india right it's all mobile and that kind of stuff
2: yeah, so part of the problem is like, you know, in India, India's underbanked. Uh, there's a lot of mm. cash transactions that causes corruptions and things like that. So if you, you so digital payments addresses a lot of these issues, right? right, right. The, the same thing with uh, online retailing, right? I mean, uh, it, the retail experience, I can go to Westfield here, it's beautiful. I can have a coffee. It's easy to get to, I can find a parking, right? Yep. Try to do that in Bangalore. <laughs> it's going to take you first, you know, half an hour of commute is going to take you three hours, right? You, you Already yeah, the coffee yeah. that you wanted to have <laughs> <laughs> doesn't it's sound lunch, that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it does it, it sounds like it's dinner time now, right? right? right. So, uh, so, you know, in that context, if somebody brings you stuff, it's, okay. it's all of a sudden, you know, it's it's less pain for you, so it's it's more useful, right? So it, it, that's what the leapfrogging, I think, happens. I'm is. not
1: entirely sure. I want someone to bring me a coffee. It's like three hours the well, right? Well, like, also a nice coffee, which know, is okay. It's
2: like going to Westfield here, and you know, <laughs> you have the coffee and you do your shopping.
1: Yeah. I hear that. Uh,
2: Not do that in Bangalore. It's hard. Fair, fair. (laughs) uh, All right. So
1: that's that one. What about water or genome sequencing? Do you have a view?
2: So I think genome, I think uh, I have a view on genome.
1: Genome sequencing, for those who don't know, is basically the sequence of our DNA, right? If If you can map out the DNA of a particular species and then eventually individual people... The idea behind that gives you a whole lot of opportunity for personalised medicine or that kind of stuff. Gene editing, at the is one of those kind of things that's being talked yeah. about. So, just to give give some background, your view on that as a sector?
2: Yeah. So you, also lots of lots of diseases that we carry Mm -hmm. or we have eventually in life they land up having you know certain things to do with the genes gene sequences certain types of genes that we have got uh certain combinations something is altered somewhere Mm -hmm. um so we are still learning those things So i think gene editing is falls into that category where Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. if you could edit that once you know one thread that was malfunctioning Mm -hmm. for some reason you can actually remove uh, a certain ailment so that
1: that's- and again as a technology it's kind of part chinese facial recognition right it's got some great opportunities <laughs> yeah it's also kind of a bit kind of you know um what was the movie that with the gene editing movie it was one of those ones I can't remember now.
2: yeah so somebody i think a, a researcher in china mm. altered did this gene editing mm. on a child that's not born you know you could right. you can think of creating like a super child right <laughs> now, the, the, now the problem with this is exactly. that in theory, it's a super child. <laughs> Whether the child is when it comes out and lives the world is actually a super child or right, is actually right, demented right. completely because you have man, you know, modified stuff. We right. don't know. So it's still not there. Gasco
1: was the movie I was thinking. By the way, It's just yeah. come to me. So, got it. so,
2: so I think gene editing, genome sequencing, and and that whole area is very interesting. Lots of interesting companies there. All right. Um, so,
1: which of these you're going to invest in? Mate? Let's um, let's let's kind of drill it down. Or oh, sorry, let's, the trends I should say, facades. So, firstly, would you be a trend investor? Would you buy baskets of these things, or would you be saying, "Look, have a look at the trend by all means, but try and find individual companies instead"?
2: Yeah. So, I do a lot of this basket style investing okay. um, in in trends. The problem with the trend is that you you, you can identify a trend, the trend looks interesting, but mm-hmm. it's hard to know which company is going to win. So, you invest right. in a basket. Right. Um, like if you're investing in like something like cashless, for example, you could you could just make it simple, like you know, Visa, Mastercard. Right. Probably going to win in uh, in a cashless thing. Square, PayPal, some of the other Draft examples. Afterpay, if you
1: wanted to, or Zip. Afterpay, Zip. You know. How big <laughs> should the basket be, mate? Do you pick two or three companies? Do you try and be as many as you can to capture all possible outcomes. How do you think about that?
2: Um, I mean, three, four, maybe okay. is is a good good number. You know, if you find four. So if you're doing something like buy now pay later, I mean, you know, you put Afterpay in that basket. Maybe mm-hmm. you put Zip. Maybe you. Uh, put uh, Flexi if you want, right? Split
1: it, potentially. Uh,
2: split it, maybe. Um, so yeah, okay. so maybe four, three, four. Like you could find some leaders and, you know, fast followers sort of thing is what is my... Uh, t- see, Asian tech, you've got lots of options there. Mm-hmm. There's some good ETFs out there which allow you exposure to Asian tech. One of them is called Asia ETF, which gives you basically a basket of... Uh, asian technology companies
1: and the code is literally asia right yeah, the, code is literally
2: asia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. the code is literally asia so that's a good one and, and so that's on the asx itself
1: nice.
2: um genome sequencing i think that one is more speculative so lots of interesting companies out there but it's more speculative mm. because i think as you said uh we, d- we don't know what we're creating there yet yep. and um some of the medical ones uh, that are looking to solve ailments and problems mm. and for detection i think they're um, they're interesting
1: yeah. I'm going to only, just for the sake of balance, give a slightly different view to yours, mate. I think you're dead right in all of that. I, I want to just warn, I guess, or, or, or just caution David and others who are listening about the, some of those trends. Now, I'm old enough to remember back in 98, 99, the, the race to sequence the human genome was on in absolute force. There was a human genome project with the, the, the public-funded mm-hmm. version – do you remember the name? Of it Was it, was it genomics I think it was Cellular genomics Back in 1999, 2000 was the next best thing. They were going to be able to sequence the genome. They were going to make a squillion dollars. Had a wonderful market cap. The business effectively almost went broke. Certainly the value of the company fell by dramatic, dramatic amounts. So even though come forward now almost 24 years, A, we now have sequenced most species, not most species, a lot of species genomes, and we're getting better at individual people and certainly the costs are coming down dramatically. That story may still play out. If you'd have invested in that trend 20 years ago, you would have done your dough many times over and at the same time missed a massive gain in other companies. So not only do you do your dough, you lose 50 70 80%. You also miss the opportunity to take that same dollar and increase it by two or fourfold over the same time. So just be a little bit careful about trends in and of themselves, right? Just because something eventually will happen doesn't mean you necessarily should invest in it. And my favorite example is always airlines, right? If you told someone in 1970 that air travel was going to go up 100-fold over the next 40 years, you would have played all your money into it and your neighbors and you borrowed some as well because, hey, how could you lose? The answer was because there were so many airlines, everyone lost a fortune. And so the trend in and of itself doesn't give you enough to suggest there's great investment opportunities. Now, it can still do that, so I'm not saying don't do it either. I'm just going to be a little bit careful between The the, the prospect of a trend, even when that's almost certain to happen, like as I said, if you'd known with certainty airline travel was going to grow dramatically or that the human genome was eventually going to be sequenced, it didn't necessarily mean those made great investments. Even though the trend ended up being right, timing and price still matter a heap.
2: That's right. Yeah, there's a 3D printing is one of them, which, yeah, uh, right. you know, uh, Internet of Things is another one where people haven't made money. I think you need to be aware of um, sort of the hype, where you are in sort of the hype cycle, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if something seems too hypey, then uh, <laughs> probably you're not going to make money. Maybe that's one, one way to look
1: at it. Modly for money. Got another question here. Um Question from, we got through uh, info at fool.com.au. Our email address came through our member services team. Got a question from Jarrett. Jarrett says, Hey, Scott and Doc, love the podcast. Good man. Friday is my podcast day, and the motley fool is always first on my list. I figure all the other podcasts must start with N O and P. Do you reckon, mate? Is that why it's first on the list, just alphabetically?
2: I uh, know. We're, no? be- we're just too good. You reckon?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, he says, I have a question about NAOS, N A O S, small cap opportunities, formerly known as Contango Microcap. The company underwent a change in name and philosophy a few years ago, including selling most of their holdings at the time. Until this point, it was a reliable listed investment company paying a steady dividend with a good track record and strong management. Since the change, both the share price and dividend have halved due to poor performance. Are you able to shed some light on what is going on and why? And do you have an opinion on the future for the company? To me, it seems they have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Thanks, Jarrett. Mate, I'll have first go this and you can you can jump in if you want to. Jared, it's a really good point, and this is one of those things about funds and listed investment companies, all those kind of things. They're kind of only as good as the philosophy or the fund or the fund manager that you're following. And so, to some degree, just because it's called in this case, it's actually changed names. If it was, if it was the same name with a new investment manager and new philosophy, there's no reason to link the past performance with the current or future performance. And so, I would say to you, I don't, I don't follow this particularly closely. It does seem to me they've gone from being a little bit. Um, more conservative or simply just having a different perspective to being a little bit more um, opportunistic. And thus far, it hasn't worked out for them. And that's that's life. That's investing. I've had my share of losses. In fact, I will say right here, the last six recommendations of share advisor, the service I run, are in the red as we speak, which is pretty ugly. Now, the previous six are up pretty well. So it kind of, you know, go in fits and starts. So my point is don't just look at just the past performance or the recent past performance and extrapolate too much. That being said, just because you own shares, Um, in the past in the past operation doesn't mean you should necessarily keep them just for the sake of it it's changed name it's changed investment manager it's changed philosophy from the sound of it Um, i think you should assume basically at that point it was changed you effectively sold your shares in contango and bought shares in naos now you literally didn't do that You you hold the same shares but for all intents and purposes these are two separate companies that happen to share a lineage i would be making your decision based on what you know now rather than what you had held in the past. And the fact that it was something else, you had held it for a long time, really shouldn't impact your your decision-making at all. If you don't like what they're doing now, you're simply not sure or not comfortable, I would say go and find something you're more comfortable with. Go and put your money elsewhere, potentially. Doc?
2: Um, nothing specific. I mean, you know, most of these, so this is like a listed, listed investment company, right? Yep. So they would probably have a, a newsletter that comes out every quarter, Fun, every month. Uh, yep, fund manager's fund letter. Fund yep. manager's letter. <coughs> I would look at what they hold, right? I mean, if, if you're not comfortable with what they hold, then maybe you shouldn't be investing in it. If you're comfortable, what would they hold? They wouldn't disclose everything, which is mm. which is fine, but they would tell you you know, what their top five is, I guess, yep. how they're distributed and so on.
1: I think that's fair. The only thing I would say for most people, if you're buying an investment company, you're probably doing it because you don't have a view on that. And so it's often hard for... L I C investors, if I mean if you like what they held, you can buy them yourself. And if you don't like it, you know, you you wouldn't be buying them either way. To some degree, Lick owners are doing so because they know, you know, they don't they don't necessarily want to make that judgment, they want to back somebody else. And I guess that's why I'd go back to my point of if you don't if you don't have enough confidence and it goes back to the stockholders you say, Doc, but even just the performance and everything else, you should really only own it, only hold it if you really feel confident in the fund, the fund manager, the fund holdings, as you say. Mm. If you can't tick at least two of those boxes, you probably don't belong in that particular investment. Yeah, that's fair enough. Modly full money. Let's get a question from Daniel now. Daniel's got a problem. Problem? Yes, he says. Uh, hi, I don't, well, maybe, maybe, it's a, maybe, just give me a compliment. I'm not sure. It seems like a problem to me. He says, after listening to your podcast for the first time, I haven't been able to stop ever since. That's not a problem. You sure? That's definitely not a problem. That's not why he's running in. No. Okay. He says, "I, it's a perfect mix of giving me exposure to what's hot in the ASX and some technical information that makes me ten times more knowledgeable than my mates." I always reckon that's the best thing, right? Go and find stupid mates. You always seem smarter.
2: So, so I think the technical information advice. is all coming from my side. And the, all the hot tips are from your side, right?
1: And the puns. Yeah. Well, okay. you're, you're on the puns today, so I'm not even sure it's that. Okay. Actually, maybe surplus to requirements at some point. This could be the doc podcast in a couple of weeks, so enjoy the last couple of weeks with me. Uh, he said, I want to ask you guys about stop losses. I understand a couple of podcasts ago, you spoke about them pretty negatively. Yes, we did. But let's—he's got a, a, a proposition for us. Let's say you set one at a price that, if the stock actually hits, there must be some major issues. For example, say you set it at a twenty-five percent loss. If a company hits that, then surely there are some fundamental issues that wouldn't be worth holding. When investing in extreme opportunities, this is your service stock. Isn't it valuable to turn on a run on a tight ship and limit your losses on a single share? Cheers, guys, Daniel. So, awesome question, Daniel. Love it. We were absolutely negative about stop losses. And Dr. Daniel's point, though, is okay. 5% stop loss, 10% stop loss, that's volatility. Mm. A 25% stop loss, surely, Daniel says, that says there must be something wrong with the company. And surely at that point... You're better off being triggered and getting out than hanging around.
2: So, okay, so I'll give him that. I'll, I'll say that, yes, 25% drop typically means that something bad has happened, yep. right? Um, but I'll, I'll add a caveat. So he's using extreme opportunities as an example, right? Some of our companies are actually pretty low liquidity. Right. Right. So all you would need is, is one large shareholder to move. Mm-hmm for whatever reason mm-hmm. and the price could actually move that much yes. so so that's you know now you know so now that you're making the correlation here that you know the 25 percent drop that you get maybe an earnings and some big shareholders selling is actually bad um maybe it's bad in the short term but maybe it's not bad in the long term so that's what you know it's hard to know how uh, to make that correlation. An, yeah. n- remember that you know 25 percent share drop for a highly liquid company is one thing 25 percent share drop for a Uh, or share increase for an illiquid company is another thing Mm, mm. so that's that's number one number two would be the i I mean extreme opportunity is not really a value service right so we you know we don't have a valuation that would say that this company is worth one dollar yep right we would probably say it's worth between 25 cents and something (laughs) like
1: a pretty wide range (laughs) and more importantly over time you should be worth a whole lot more so the question is how well it well it delivers on that expectation over years
2: right so so we will have a range of value and the, the the wide the range would be wide and and now let's say some bad news drops and the share price actually drops 25% and as exactly that happens as daniel has said yep. in in that case what we want to know is given what we know today yep. what do we think is is it worth and how much do we think you know it can grow from here going forward right mm-hmm. and it could be that it's Probably fairly valued, maybe undervalued, and after the twenty-five percent drop. Right. So it's again. I mean, you know, you can't make the decision. I I, I totally agree that a twenty-five percent drop in most cases would mean that something bad has happened, mm-hmm. but that you know we can't always assume that the market and the market participants are um always going to be able to, you know, efficiently and fairly react. You know, right. we know that, you know, they they hyper react to the upside <laughs> and hyper react to the downside, right. right? So so both happens. Um so yeah, so you can't make a decision solely based on prices what what I would say. The the other problem is that um if you put a stop loss at twenty five percent, right, and the shared price actually drops thirty five percent, now it's super value and you actually sell out at 35 yep. not at 25 because your your stop loss is going to still trigger right at so 35. this
1: is this is important right so a dollar share if you put a 25 cent stop loss in theory you get stopped out at 75 cents or below Yeah. so you think okay at least i'm locking in 75 cents if though the shares closed yesterday at one buck opened this morning at 65 cents yep. you're you're on 35 cent drop they simply the market no one no one's paying between 65 and a dollar right yesterday yep. i thought it was at a dollar Today, terrible news. This morning comes out. The CFOs resigned. Profits are down eighty-five percent. Um, all hell's breaking loose. The shares are open up at sixty-five cents. They never trade at seventy-five. Yeah, you're stopped out at sixty-five anyway. You don't get that twenty-five percent guarantee. You simply get the next price below twenty-five percent loss, which could be anything.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that's again, you know, and sometimes for illiquid stocks that actually happens. You know, you could have like, you know, this morning a, a, a pretty large company actually opened up nine percent, right? Then moved down. Three percent. That's like a twelve percent move for right. pretty large. This
1: is like a billion dollar plus market capitalization company. My corporate travel, I think, traded a seventeen percent band on results day last week.
2: Right, and that's what a three billion dollar plus yeah. company. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> these things do happen, and if you have a stop loss like that, you you could actually be stopped because things move widely. Right. Right. Right.
1: So, mate, I'm going to I'm going to wrap this up with a, a quick answer. I want to I want to point Daniel. So, look, Daniel, I get the sense of what you're saying. I would say rather than a stop loss, which absolutely gets you out regardless. You should set yourself a mental stop loss, which says, I'm going to keep a, a spreadsheet somewhere, a watch list somewhere. If the shares go below a certain price, I'm going to make sure I have a look and say, hey, what's going on there? Because as Doc said, you're not going to get at exactly 25% reduction. No one offers you a guaranteed stop loss. They simply sell you out when the shares get at to or below a given price. So you don't get a guarantee of that downside protection. On the other side, you do get definitely stopped out, and you may not want to be. If the shares drop 50%, but you think it's only worth falling 15%, then you've actually been stopped at a, at a discount of what you think the company's actually worth, even in spite of that bad news. A 25% loss is worthwhile from the perspective of a mental trigger to say, hey, I better go and have a look at this just in case something's gone wrong. Let me give you a very, very concrete example from last week, week before, week before, oh, maybe two weeks ago, Jeez, time gets away. It's been busy earnings season, Rural Funds Group. Doc, we talked about that a couple of times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, it closed at $2.26, I want to say, on one day. The next morning, it fell literally all the way down to $1.48. Yeah,
2: what was it? Like a 45% suspended. drop.
1: Right. Yeah. That was before the shares were suspended. So you would have had a, So day before, you you're happy to own the shares at 2 Next day, you get stopped out at exactly $1.48 because it never trades above that price. So you're gone. Then the shares get suspended. You've sold out $1.48. You've locked in your price. Fast forward now, literally, I'm looking at my watch now, three weeks. The shares are now back to $2.18 over the space of a month they are down 10 cents so 5% yet you were stopped out at a 45% loss yep. now everyone who does this says oh no i would have bought back in because dot 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 guess what you wouldn't have i promise you people always think they will um, that that sort of kind of you know it's human ego telling us that no one's fault not blaming anybody that's just what our brains do you won't get back in certainly not in time and so if you'd have been stopped at a dollar for tr- trust me that would have that would have lost you more money than trying to worry about 25% stop loss with everything else that might possibly go down by that amount. The money you make back from that $1.45, effectively the shares are up 50% since that low point. Uh, and you've missed out on all of that. If you've been stopped out at what you thought was a 25% loss, that ended up being a 45% loss instead. So I, I would say, look, I get, the, I get the thinking. I know why you want to do that. I get the, the kind of, surely, surely it must be worth it. Generally speaking, over time, it's just not. Shares go up more than they go down. Volatility happens regardless. Don't know. We we want to embrace volatility as investors. That's where our opportunity comes from, right? If it was that, if it was no volatility, people wouldn't pay the same sorts of prices for shares, and we wouldn't have the same opportunities. Often, we're looking for stocks that are, in my case, sometimes when they fall, I'm happy to buy. Docs less keen to buy when they fall. He's more looking for stocks that go up and keep going up. I think that's great too. In either case, though, we're really not fans of stop losses. We never have been. I don't think, Doctor. About you, I don't think we ever will be. Will we? No. Sorry, Daniel. Can't help you. Lots more questions to get to, but time has beaten us, mate. Next week, hopefully, we'll be able to get through the backlog because we are getting to the end of earnings season, only a couple of days away, a couple of stragglers maybe on Friday afternoon. Hot tip, look at the ones that come out after close on Friday. They're either the ones that have very, very slow accounting departments or in some cases, hypothetically, allegedly, may well have something to hide. So just be a little bit careful and have a a very close look at those that release earnings after hours, particularly if they don't normally do it. Some do it as a matter of course, that's when they release their earnings. Just have a look at those who release earnings after after market on the last possible day. Remembering, of course, if you don't do it by Friday afternoon, the ASX will suspend your shares on Monday morning. That's why they have to do it. Those who've left at the last minute, maybe maybe they're slow. Maybe they always are. Do it that way. Or maybe they've got something to hide. I dislike the 3
2: p.m. releases.
1: The 3 p.m. releases? Yeah. Okay. The ones that get out just before market close. Yeah, goes. just before market <laughs> close. <laughs> anyway, keep, a, a, keep your eyes peeled. B, as always, stay long-term. That's it. That's it. That wraps us up for this week's Motley Fool Money. But before we go, don't forget you can and should subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app, as we say all the time. If you want an idea, Pocket Cast is one I use. There's plenty out there, but grab that one if you're looking for one. And if you do like what we're doing, leave us a review, give us a rating, tell your friends. Even if you don't like us, give us a rating anyway, just because we're nice people and we're trying hard. No, I'm very nice. You what? Well, you yeah. are. One one out of two ain't bad. Better than meatloaf's average. Yeah, exactly. Oh, slightly worse. Two out of three ain't (laughs) bad. We'll find someone else. Yeah, just give us a rating. Five stars. (laughs) Five stars. Five stars. And don't forget, you can get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash Triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of Foolish Insight. Fool on. Fool on.